Barefooting with Sierra uses Buzzsprout. Just start with the equipment you already have and a quiet space. Add Buzzsprout and your podcast is ready to go. You'll get a great looking podcast website, audio players that you can drop into other websites, detailed analytics to show how people are listening, tools to promote your episodes, and more. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners. Following the link in the show notes lets Buzzsprout know that I sent you, gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan, and helps support the show. The team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout and get your message out to the world. Hello and welcome to the 47th episode of Barefooting with Sierra. This podcast is recorded on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional land, gathering place, and traveling route of the Cree, Anishinaabe, Blackfoot, Dene, Nakota Sioux, Métis, and others for time immemorial. My name is Sierra Larson, better known as Barefoot Sierra. I'm a novelist, comic creator, and independent journalist, and I've been living without shoes since 2010. I alternate between using she, her, and they, them pronouns. I created this podcast to keep my audiences in touch with all of my projects, to talk about things I care about, and to interact with the awesome people in my various professional networks. In this episode, I interviewed Adrian Bruff, who is running for Edmonton City Council, representing Ward O'Damon. I'm going to break this podcast up into four parts, novels, comics, journalism, and barefooting, each representing a different aspect of my professional life. I'll give you updates on what I'm working on, let you know about any new works you can see, and keep you in the know about when I do free book giveaways on Amazon. Let's get started. First up, novels. In novel news, Julia Claiborne Johnson, author of the best-selling Be Frank With Me and a finalist for the American Booksellers Association Best Debut Novel Award, has released her second novel, Better Luck Next Time, set at a divorce ranch in Reno, Nevada in the 1930s. It was inspired by her father's experiences working on just such a ranch, with pretend cowboys who would entertain women while they waited for their divorces to finalize. After reading Emily Meyer's review of the book in Harbor Light News, I had to read it for myself. It's got me wishing I went to a a divorce ranch when I got divorced. It sounds like a way better time than what I went through, going out to the lake with a pseudo-cowboy who grew up going barefoot all summer, hopping around tenderfooted until his summer feet came in. Much preferable to the COVID lockdown and homeschool nonsense I actually did. Better Luck Next Time is available in print, ebook, and audiobook. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. In a viral trend across the United States, parents are reading sexually explicit passages out of books from school libraries at school board meetings to raise objections to the content in the books, with the objective of persuading the school boards to pull the books from the libraries. Fairfax County, Virginia resident Stacy Langton visited her kids' school library at Fairfax High School to investigate the content in the books available for her children. Langton found objectionable material in Maya Kobed's graphic novel Gender Queer and Jonathan Evison's novel Lawn Boy. She brought up the material she found offensive and inappropriate for children at last week's school board meeting, complaining about the depictions of masturbation, sex toys, and fellatio in Kobabe's graphic novel, and accusing Avison's novel of portraying pedophilia. The school board temporarily pulled the book's pending investigation. I did an investigation of my own because one of my favorite things to do is to read banned books. I am in love with genderqueer. I relate to it so much. It's a memoir of so many things that I have also experienced. 
where all things related to your gender experience feel like an inner demon catching snakes in the backyard barefoot a kid in elementary school asking if you're a boy or a girl the magic of reading harry potter managing a period while experiencing dysphoria awkward conversations about body odor wondering if you're trans discovering deviant art ace bandage binding shipping characters from supernatural pads not being compatible with shorts type underwear winning nanorimo not having any visibly non-binary role models growing up i see myself so much in this graphic novel not just as a gender fluid individual in the gender experiences but also in the purely human experiences. It's the type of book that would have been so helpful to me 10 to 15 years ago as I explored my gender experience to know that I wasn't broken and to give me vocabulary to define my experience. I think the target is older teens to adults, just like with Lawn Boy, whose main character, Mike Munoz, is 23 years old and still trying to figure out who he is and what he wants to do with his life while being responsible for caring for his mentally disabled brother. The book is hilarious because of the way that Evison describes all the terrible things that happen to poor Mike Munoz. I have no idea where the supposed pedophilia happened. The only possible explanation I can think of is that Langdon skimmed the book and misunderstood one of the scenes, thinking it was intercourse between a child and an adult, instead of a flashback to when the now two adults were both children. It's quite an enjoyable book about the existential struggle against America's class structure, racism, and homophobia. One of the main themes is that no matter what happens, the library always has your back. Well done, Jonathan Evison. I wish I knew what was going on in Stacey Langton's head when she skimmed over these books. The fact that both of the offensive books have LGBTQ themes feels suspicious to me. There are far more books that depict heterosexual relationships with pretty intense themes, yet I hardly ever hear controversy from parents worried that their kids are going to get corrupted from them. I enjoy Genderqueer and Lawn Boy quite a lot. They do both have mature themes in them for sure. The thing about LGBTQ themed books is the school library may be the only place kids can safely access this information. Those books need to be there so librarians can recommend them to kids and have their back. I think the book should get to stay. And now for comics. This week's comic was inspired by my boyfriend, the real-life version of Robbie Raccoon, who has been working with a mechanic to restore a project motorcycle, and also an adorable photo of a raccoon riding a little red bicycle that I saw on Instagram. You can see I like to ride my bike on comics Instagram at World of Possums, or on Facebook, Possum P Comics. In comic news, Central Alberta Fan Fest, which I'm holding a panel at, is happening online September 27th through October 2nd. My panel takes place on September 30th at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Find out more at PinocoLibrary.com. Listen up, everybody, because you are not going to want to miss this. Naveo Photo Journals has an exclusive offer for my listeners. With back to school, COVID still going on, and all the regular everyday craziness in the world, Naveo has come up with the perfect solution for sharing photos with faraway family members. Just download their app, add your photos, and tell them where to send it. At the end of the month, Naveo prints and ships your photo book to whoever you ask them to. Your parents in another country, or your brother off at university, or your grandparents you haven't seen before the pandemic, it's up to you. And with this exclusive offer, you can get your first two months absolutely free. Just use discount code BAREFOOT. 
That's B-A-R-E-F-O-O-T, all capital letters in the Naveo app. My grandparents love their Naveo photo books, and your relatives will too. All right, next up is journalism, which means it's time for my interview with Edmonton City Council candidate, Adrian Bruff. Hi, Adrian. Thanks so much for joining me on the show. Please tell us a little about yourself, where you're from, and what prompted you to run for City Council representing Wardo Damon. Well, thank you so much for inviting me um, onto your show. My name is Adrian Bruff. I'm a community activist and organizer here on Three to Six Territory. I have a 10-year career in the field of social work, and I decided to step up to run to be the next city councillor in the new riding, Odemin. Odemin is an Anichibe word. It means the heart of the city or strawberry. You know, I grew up in a working poor class family. My mother was a single parent, and she raised my brother and I. Growing up poor meant that as kids, there were many nights we went to bed hungry. We didn't have enough food to eat. And at one point, while facing homelessness, we had to rent a room in a house where we shared a kitchen and bathrooms with strangers. So just imagine an entire family of three with roommates. All the while, my brother and I, we saw our mother work odd jobs to make ends meet, sacrificing her own goals and aspirations so that my brother and I can accomplish ours. My brother went on to become a high school teacher and now the author of curriculum books, and I'm ready to become the next city councillor. Working class people deserve to be represented by a working class champion. And when our city starts to build back from this pandemic, now more than ever, we need that champion and counsel. And I decided to run for public office because of my background, my experience, my qualifications, and my ties to the community. I want to contribute to making Edmonton one of the best places to live, raise a family, invest, and retire. We can protect our environment, build affordable homes, and address social issues like homelessness. And those are the issues that I'm passionate about. So those are some of the things I'm looking to accomplish if I'm elected on October 18th as the next councillor um, for Ward Odeman. Perfect. Um, so on your social media, you describe yourself as a disability advocate. What does it mean to be a disability advocate? Well, my entire life and upbringing have been centered around advocating for our most vulnerable residents, LGBTQ, seniors, and folks with disability, BIPOC individuals, and other marginalized community. And I'll continue to play a leadership role in advocating for our rights. In terms of disability, uh, in terms disability comes in many forms, um, accessibility, aging, infrastructure, transit, building the type of city that's welcoming for folks with disability. So for example, I was in my, in, my, in my day job, I was supporting an individual that was in a wheelchair and it was difficult for him to get around, to the, get around in our city through public transit and through the infrastructure that we have. So having that lens as we build for 2 million people under the city plan will be critical to make sure that we're building a more inclusive city for all. And that's what I'm looking to advocate for. And disability and homelessness often go hand in hand. Edmonton has thousands of pop-up homeless camps, uh, of which police disassembled 1,477 last year. What are your thoughts on how the city handles these homeless camps and what can the city do better? Well, there's always room for improvement on on the city's part in, in regards to dismantling homeless camp. But I think we must look at the bigger picture, which is homelessness on a whole. You know, it's the number one issue that residents have been sharing with me in the riding since I've been door knocking for the past 13 months. You know, with my background and experience and qualification, and I also, I also have a plan on how we can best address the homeless crisis, preventing encampments. It's a two-part plan for homelessness. So the first part of the homeless plan is to convert the old remand center on 97th Street, along with four abandoned hotels and apartment buildings along Stony Plain Road into wellness centers. So what that will look like is the first couple of floors in these centers, we're gonna have all the wraparound support that folks need, mental health support, 
addictions counseling, 24 hour access to food downstairs. And then above that, we're gonna build permanent one bedroom and two bedroom housing for them to stay at. The reality is many folks who are homeless are at a stage where we can only provide palliative care and they're also aging. So these wellness centers will be a good start for those individuals. When the city did its homeless count at the end of last year, we're sitting at close to 2,000 folks who are houseless in our communities. These five buildings that I'm looking to retrofit over the next 24 months will house up to 1,200. The second part of my homeless plan, because the first module won't fit everyone. Unfortunately, some people just won't go. So the second part of my plan is to have the city continue working with other organizations that are already doing good work to house our houseless and clean up across our city a lot of the abandoned houses that we have that are boarded up. Let's clean some of those up and turn those into affordable, supportive housing, whereas the individual or the family who is homeless can move into these homes and the agencies will provide ongoing 24-hour support. Not only is this plan realistic, it's also achievable and we have a real chance of reducing homelessness by up to 80% in the next five years. Wonderful. So the way that um, police have been interacting with the homeless has really been under scrutiny, as well as the way that police interact with uh, racial minorities. Do you think that Edmonton police have a racial problem? And what are your thoughts on calls to defund the police? Well, there's always room for improvement in any organization. And yes, there may be some racist members within the police force, but on a whole, I don't believe that Edmonton police is racist. You know, I've had the opportunity to sit in on numerous meetings from the Edmonton police, including a recent hate crime um, meeting. And they talk about the recruiting process and how they've ramped up their effort to really scrutinize the, the candidates that are, that are applying to become police officers, ensuring that they're addressing some of those biases that folks have about diverse community members, especially folks that looks like myself. Um, I do believe that the role of policing have become too broad. They're constantly being asked to do more to address the growing complex needs of our communities. That falls traditionally outside of the role of policing. So I think what we can do here, and we have an opportunity with my advocacy work, is for us to invest in organizations that are already doing good work to address marginalized group and to keep our community safe, like Bear Clank Patrol, 3-6 Outreach, Reach Edmonton, Safe from Macaulay, uh, Revamp 211 Program, Neighborhood Watch Programs, the Beats Officers Program, more community-oriented policing. Those are some of the things and I'm looking to advocate for as the counselor to address policing and systematic racism within our core. Perfect. Um, so there's a lot of programs that, that you've named there um, and, and funding that you're, you're wanting to, to put into there and working with lots of organizations. So where is all the funding for this going to be coming from? Yeah, um, one of the ways I'm looking at funding some of these programs is through the funding formula that Edmonton Police currently gets. So right now, on top of their annual budget, almost $400 million, they get an additional $10 million top up. So what I'm going to be proposing to council in, at council is to, instead of giving them $10 million, let's cut that in half. Let's take that $5 million and give it to the EPS so that they can continue to grow with operating costs and inflation. And that other $5 million we're going to invest in these organizations so that they can also do that community service, community-oriented um, policing that we'd like to see in our communities. What do you think is Edmonton's biggest financial challenge right now? Legally, as a city, we aren't allowed to run a deficit. So with the $3 billion that we collect in property tax, my focus is making sure that we're investing it in communities, in families, making sure that we're building more affordable homes, we're addressing the environment, um, addressing um, systematic racism. 
building a, um, a robust economy. Those are some of the lens and those are some of the things I'm looking to focus on as a counselor in regards to our budget. Accessible transportation, garbage collection, those are some of the things as a city we're responsible for. But we can find efficiencies in certain areas. For example, we can make common sense investments. I'm going to be advocating for a freeze and council salaries, and we can really, really reduce the amount of money that we're spending on consultation firms every year. Those are some of the steps that we can take to make sure that we're spending within our means and, and at the same time ensure that Edmontonians are getting the support that they need. Speaking of support that Edmontonians need, if elected, how will you stand up for residents of Wardo Damon when there are business developers who are pushing for exemptions to zoning restrictions? Well, affordable housing is something that is dear to me. As I said to you earlier, I grew up in a single parent home. We almost faced homelessness. So housing and, and, and affordable housing is important to me. So we're going to have an opportunity in the upcoming zoning bylaw renewal process, which the next council is going to have to debate on, and ensuring that we're finding a balance between developers, between homeowners, and between communities to, to arrive at a solution where we are not destroying neighborhood characters. We're addressing concerns that neighborhood have. For example, their concerns about their trees, their concern about parking, their concern about infrastructure, um, their concern about damages to their home during the construction period. Those are real concerns. And as you know, the city is planning to build for 2 million people. So we have to address some of these concerns as we build the type of developments within the core, particularly in the area that I'm learning to represent, downtown Oliver, and then the surrounding communities like Westmount, Queen Mary Park, et cetera. Those communities have shared with me on their doorsteps that they need council, they need a counselor that's going to push back on some of the requests from developers to ensure that we're building a community that is supportive of their vision, their values, and the things that they'd like to see for their families. We've got a lot of Indigenous people. Like This, this ward has one of the highest areas of urban Indigenous in Canada. What have you personally done to implement the truth and reconciliation calls to action? Well, one of the simplest things that we can do is to acknowledge the um, truth and reconciliation and, and work towards accomplishing some of the steps. I signed on to the Moose High program to advocate against violence against our Indigenous women and girls. Those are some of the steps that we can take. I'm encouraged to see that the city changed the ward names to Indigenous name to reflect that. But there's so much more that we can do. We need to address the mental health crisis. We need to address the homelessness crisis. We need to address the um, systematic racism that continues to exist within our communities. There's a lot of work that needs to get done in regards to this, and I'm ready to get to work and addressing some of those issues. Great. Um, where can people go to learn more about you and about your campaigns? AdrianBruff.ca, that's my website. Uh, you can follow me on social media, Adrian Bruff, Facebook or Instagram. And you can give me a phone call, 587-594-8586, or just send me an email, info at AdrianBruff.ca. Thank you so much for chatting with me. It's been great to learn more about you and best of luck to you in your campaign. Thank you so much. And please remember, go out and vote October 18th. Thank you. Last but not least, let's talk about barefooting. My barefoot adventures this week, once I got out of quarantine for suspected COVID that turned out to be just a bad cold, mainly consisted of day-to-day -day errands. At the bank, the teller asked me about my lack of shoes, which led to a bit of conversation about the health benefits associated with barefooting. My biggest barefoot adventure this week was helping as a volunteer with the Alberta-wide Food Bank's food drive. I distributed donation bags in my neighborhood midweek, then came back Saturday morning to pick up the donations people left out on their porch. I've been involved with the annual food drive as a volunteer since 2011, and it's so heartwarming to see the community rally around the food bank. 
Thank you to everyone who donated non-perishable food items and toiletries. If you missed the food drive and would like to support your local food bank, check out their website. That's all for this week's episode. I'll be back next week with an interview with Melanie Banks, otherwise known as the proverbial dandelion on TikTok and Instagram. Thanks so much for listening in. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to sierrathebarefootgirl at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram at sierrathebarefoot, on Facebook as sierrathebarefootgirl, on Twitter at sierrabarefoot, and on TikTok at sierraisbarefoot. You can follow the podcast itself on Instagram at barefootingwithsierra. All of my books are available on Amazon. My comics are available on Instagram at World of Possums, on Facebook, Possum Pete Comics, and at patreon.com slash possumpete. Thank you to Legion X for the intro and outro music. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening, and please share it with a friend if you've enjoyed it. Until next time, this has been Barefooting with Sierra. <laughs>